One to services this evening. Our first song tonight will be number 484. Number 484, in the morning of joy, we'll sing all three verses. Number 484. When the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall arise and the splendors immortal shall envelop the skies when the angel of death shall no longer destroy and the dead shall awaken in the morning of joy in the morning of joy in the morning of joy We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy. We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy. When the King shall appear in his beauty on high and shall summon his children to the courts of the sky, shall the cause of the Lord have been all your employ that your soul may be spotless in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy. We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy. We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy. Oh, the bliss of that morn when our loved ones we meet with the songs of the ransom we each other shall greet. Singing praise to the Lamb through eternity's years with the past all forgotten with its sorrows and fears. In the morning of joy, in the morning of joy, We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy, in the morning of joy. We'll be gathered to glory in the morning of joy. Tonight I'll be reading from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Our psalm before opening prayer this evening will be number 552. Number 552, we'll sing the first and third verses. 
Walking alone at eve and viewing the skies afar, bidding the darkness come to welcome each silver star. I have a great delight in the wonderful scenes above. God in his power and might is showing his truth and love. Oh, for home with God, a place in his courts to rest. Sure in a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for weary soul, once redeemed by the Savior's love. Where I'll be pure and whole and live with my God above. Closing my eyes at eve and thinking of heaven's grace. Longing to see my Lord, yes, meeting him face to face. Trusting him as my all, wheresoever my footsteps roam. Pleading with him to guide me onto the Spirit's home. Oh, for a home with God, a place in his courts to rest. Sure to safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. Rest for a weary soul. Once redeemed by the Savior's love, where I'll be pure and whole and live with my God above. Let's go to Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us to come together to reach out and learn the wisdoms and the, the, the lessons that are in your word that apply to our lives, Father. We ask that as we learn these lessons tonight and as Tom imparts the wisdom on us, that we'll take those lessons to heart, that we'll take them out in the world and use them in our lives so that our light will shine and those that see us will see you. And Father, we ask that you be with us as we go through each day, that we'll live the life that you that you want us to live father and we ask that you be with every one of those that are in the congregation that are needing a little extra help from you father that you'll be with them through their times father and as we go through this service we ask lord that you'll lean upon our hearts to do everything in your will and it's in your son's great and holy name we pray amen At this time, would you please mark the invitation song, which will be number 567. The invitation song will be number 567. Our song before the lesson this evening will be number 500, where the gates swing outward never, number 500. We'll sing the first, second, and last verses. Will you stand, please? Just a few more days to be filled with praise And to tell the old, old story Then when twilight falls and my Savior calls I shall go to Him in glory 
I'll exchange my cross for a starry crown where the gates swing outward never. At his feet I'll lay every burden down and with Jesus reign forever. Just a few more years with their toll and tears and the journey will be ended. Then I'll be with him where the tide of time with eternity is blended. I'll exchange my cross for a starry crown where the gates swing outward never. At his feet I'll lay every burden down and with Jesus reign joy twill be when I wake to see him for whom my heart is burning. Never more to sigh, never more to die, for the day my heart is yearning. I'll exchange my cross for a starry crown where the gates swing outward never. At his feet I'll lay every burden down, and with Jesus reign forever. Be seated, please. Stephen Fox was telling me a funny story coming into the auditorium. He stopped to get a drink of water, and I guess he took a little while. He was thirsty, but Robin said, come on, come on, let's come in and get some grace. So uh, she knew what we were talking about tonight. I appreciate that. We all need some grace. Amen. The, the challenge for me is I'm not sure which is more difficult to talk about the attributes of God or understanding grace because it's a challenge. So y'all have to help me, pray for me, divine guidance, and a ready recollection, all those other things we pray for the preacher. Rethinking grace. I think you'll admit that many of us growing up, especially the older ones, probably didn't hear many lessons on grace. Um, there are a few of us that still enjoy the hellfire and brimstone lessons that send everybody to hell. You know, good lesson, yeah. We condemned a bunch that day, right? But I mean, we, we all, I mean, all joking aside, we, we need to have the fear of the Lord and feel the fires of hell. That needs to be real in our minds. But the other side of that coin is, is do we have the sweetness and the joy of grace and the longing of our own salvation and heaven? You know, I mean, is that what really motivates? Are we fear motivated or are we joy motivated? That's really, I guess, my question tonight is where are you in that equation, um, what is your grace quotient? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you a good person because you're scared? Or are you a good person because you're in love with the Lord? That makes sense? And, and so I hope that we can feel joy and happiness and excitement and anticipation and, and, and feel so blessed because of the grace that we have. Let's turn to Ephesians 2. That's sort of our main text during this lesson series on grace. And uh, we're, we're just going to look over that text. And in particular, you may recall in Ephesians 2, in the very beginning of this chapter, Paul reminds the church at Ephesus 
that at one time we collectively were dead in our sins, in our trespasses. In other words, we were separated from God, alienated from covenant relationship. Uh, we were worldly. We followed the devil. Um, and and that, that was the spirit that was in us, not a spirit of God, but a spirit of, of the sons of disobedience. And so he basically says, in that relationship, uh, we followed fleshly desires, and, and those passions are really what drove us. Uh, and our mind was was basically um, in control of, of of worldly things, and then he says in verse four, it's like a breath of fresh air. But God, but God, God entered the picture. What was God like? He was rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. He says even. Even when God came and he looked down on creation, what did he find? Did he find a lot of really good people? No, no. He found a world of depravity, people who had sinned and alienated themselves from from us. It says, even, verse 5, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. In other words, Jesus entered the picture, God's plan of salvation, redemption. This is a plan that was carried out and designed even before I think the first man was created. Even before God made us, maybe even before he made the angels, I don't know. But he said, you know, we're going to make this creation that has a free will. We know they're going to mess up, right? They're going to sin. They're going to alienate themselves from us. How can we redeem them through love? That is, we'll pay the sin, the propitiation, we'll pay that price for them, we'll reach down in their state of depravity and love them and save them. That's, that's a beautiful story. Am I really worth that? God says, yeah, yeah, you, you are. You are worth that. I love you so much, I'd be willing to die for you. Think about this for just a minute. If somebody rescued you from a burning home, you were destined to die. You knew smoke inhalation was going to get you. The flames were going to get you. You were destined to die. You knew it. But they came in and rescued you. You were somehow delivered from the fire, but they perished, right? Saving you. Would you go through the rest of your life and tell no one about that? Not anybody? You wouldn't tell anybody about somebody who gave their life that you could live? You're like, no, that's insane. I would take every opportunity to tell anyone about the person who saved me. I'd probably write their family a thank you letter and go over and tell them how much I love and appreciate them and the great sacrifice. See, what's different between that scenario and what God has done for us, really? Why are we so silent about a Savior who died for us? It's by grace we have been saved. He's rich in mercy, even when we were dead, we were goners, we were dead, we were condemned. It says that he made us alive together. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Drop on down to, to verse nine, uh, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. And so I want to talk tonight about works, I want to talk about grace, I want to talk about how we receive that gift of salvation. Uh, and, and so uh, it says, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no 
man should boast. So the first thing I guess I wanted to talk about grace tonight is if you're a, a, a beneficiary of grace, it's not because you've been extra good. It's not because you've been extra deserving. It's just the fact that God loved you and he, and he had mercy on you. And he wants his creation to be saved. And so he extended that grace. He reached down and said, I'm going to love you not because of your goodness, not because of what you've done for me, not because of, of your exemplary behavior, right? You've been extra good. You deserve to be saved. It's because he loves us. And so we have no claims to salvation based on this meritorious work that we perform somehow. And we've got to get away from this idea that if I work harder, maybe I can be saved. If I just work harder, that is a fallacy. It's wrong. Now, we're going to talk about hard work tonight, so don't think I'm going to let you off easy, right? You've got to work hard, but we're going to talk about the reasons you work hard. So grace forces us to, to admit, or it should at least, that we can't earn salvation, we can't have the salvation based on our, our own righteous living. As a matter of fact, Jesus felt so strongly about that statement that I just made that he told a parable. And let's all turn to Luke 18. I love this parable because in, I'm very visual. In my mind, I see this happening. Uh, Luke 18. We're going to read 9 through 14. In my Bible, this story is called um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, as you well know, was a religious expert in the times of Christ. He was respected. He knew the law. He was an expert. He uh, commanded a certain amount of respect in his community because of his religious standing, right? He sort of had status. He, had, he was a weighty member of the community, and probably a little proud of the fact that he had reached that, that level of uh, religious um, uh, ex- expert status. And so here's this religious expert who's in the temple, and then, and then you have a tax collector. Oh, my, they were hated. They were, they were people who betrayed their own people because they'd go around and arbitrarily assign taxes to the Jews, keep some of it for themselves, and turn in their required quota to the Romans. The Romans didn't really care as long as they got their cut. You could charge whatever you wanted to make a decent living as a tax collector, but you were viewed as a traitor and hated by your fellow men. I enjoy uh, The Chosen. I know I mentioned that a lot. Sorry. It's a great series, and if you want to find out how tax collectors are hated, watch The Chosen because they hate Matthew, right? He's He's a traitor. Even his parents disown him. All right. He told this parable, verse 9, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Sound like anybody in Jesus' day? Yeah, the religious leaders. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Then he goes into this routine of, here's all the things that I do, Lord. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
wow, he thinks, isn't God blessed to have me? Then he switches. Jesus switches in his focus now to the tax collector who's hated, verse 13, the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus summarizes verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the problem with this picture? Here is a man who's a religious expert. He has status in the community, and he thinks somehow he's earned his, his, his salvation, his good standing with God based on what he's done, and he's quick to point out the failings of others. I'm glad I'm not like him or her or him or him or him. God, I'm, I'm really an asset to your team. Look at all that I do. You see, Jesus turned the tables on this thinking, and he said only one person went away justified. It was the one who said, I need your grace. All right, so what's my point tonight? I'd like all of you to acknowledge in your personal life, I need God's grace. Bring it on. Bring the grace, because I fail God, I come up short, I sin, I'm imperfect, whatever. I'm not saying beat yourself up, but I'm just saying acknowledge that sin exists in your life, all right? We're not real good at doing that sometimes, right? We don't like to confess our sins. We don't like to admit fault. We'd much rather point out the the faults of others. I need your grace, Lord. Have mercy on me. Now, why do I say that? What I'm finding is that in our lives, as we begin to acknowledge our own sin and our own shortcomings, and we need grace and we ask God for grace, it tends to make us more merciful people toward others who mess up. Those people that go through life who are very self-righteous and arrogant and tend to point out others and they're hypercritical and and they're pointing faults continually, those are the people that you will rarely, if ever, hear them say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, please forgive me. Those people scare me, frankly. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to say, I mess up all the time. Boy, if it weren't for God's grace, wouldn't have a chance. I need God's grace because I mess up, and I'm happy to bestow grace upon you as well because I need grace myself. You see, it puts us in a much different mindset. So we've read the parable where Jesus teaches to be humble and to confess our sins and to humble ourselves. And now what I want you to do is I want you to think about rejoicing, rejoicing that grace is free. And we can't earn it. We can't earn it somehow by working hard or, or, or being more devout. And uh, I wanted to share a song. If you want to look in your book, it's number 455. We've sung this a lot, Lord, We Come Before Thee Now, written by William Hammond. Uh, this is actually stanza two. I thought we'd sing a couple of stanzas, and it is uh, on slide eight. But I'm going to sing the uh, second stanza. Notice what he says, Lord, on thee our souls depend, in compassion now descend. Fill our hearts 
with thy rich grace, tune our lips to sing thy praise. Let's sing that together. Lord, on thee our souls depend, in compassion now descend. Fill our hearts with thy rich grace, tune our lips to sing thy praise. Tune our lips to sing thy praise. This stanza is not in the book, but we are going to sing it as well. Let's go back to the next slide. Oh, that we might lift our eyes. Oh, that our poor hearts would rise. To the throne of grace above And enjoy the sweets of love And enjoy the sweets of love I just wanted to share that with you because that song really spoke to me as I was preparing a lesson on grace As we enjoy the sweets of love, what we should do is begin to realize I'm a sinner. Uh, God loves me. He's bestowed grace upon me. I'm I'm here because he loves me in a relationship with him because the blood of the Jesus. And I'm so thankful. Now I want to talk about hard work. I want to talk about hard work not to receive salvation. I want to talk about hard work because we have been saved. Hard work because we're joyful and we love the Father. I mentioned this morning in our Bible class, I so much enjoyed Stacy's discussion, and we got on the subject of grace, and I was taking notes like, yeah, i got to use this for, for tonight's lesson. But I mentioned a, a mockingbird we hear as we walk in the mornings. That mockingbird will sing his heart out, you know, he'll just sing, 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 sing. And, and I've never stopped to think, you know, if he keeps singing, he's going to eventually become a bird. Now think about that for a minute. Isn't that absurd? To think if that bird can just sing enough and sing loud enough and hard enough and long enough, he'll eventually be a bird. Doesn't make sense, does it? Why is he singing? Because he is a bird. You see, he's singing and rejoicing because that's the way God made him. And I want Christians to sing not to become saved. I want Christians to sing because they're saved. Work hard because you've been saved. Work hard because God's bestowed that grace upon you. And you can shout, I'm a child of the King. I've inherited eternal blessings. A mansion that's greater than anything I can imagine. No matter what happens, no matter when it happens, no matter how it happens. I know my future and I know my Father. He's the King and I'm His Son. Oh, that's exciting. So when we're persecuted, when we're in difficulty or trials, when we're, when we're serving him and life gets really hard, we can just stop and say, Lord, whew, I'm, I'm, I'm tuckered out, I'm tired, but I'm doing all this not to be saved. I'm doing this because I'm saved. Makes sense? It's a subtle difference, but it's all your viewpoint. Why do you work so hard? Not to hope that you're saved. It's because you're saved. So one writer And I'm thinking of Brother Eldred Eccles, and Jim and I talk about Eldred a lot. He says, we work hard and struggle as Christians not to be saved, but because we're already saved. So grace causes us to rejoice 
Grace causes us to be happy when you're driving down and you spontaneously sing praises to God because of your salvation. We can rejoice. So we rejoice, yet being a child of God also brings some struggles. And so I want to talk about that. We rejoice, but yet our child of God status, being in Christ, brings on struggles. Does that make any sense at all? You see, some people out there, televangelists and various people on, on, uh, on, on uh, the airways or TV, they'll tell you that once you become a child of God, everything's good. God will prosper you, and you'll have unlimited riches, and just pray, and God will give it to you. That's not the Bible I read, see. The Bible I read is, is when you accept this inheritance of salvation, and the blood of Jesus covers you, and you're now redeemed, and, and you're joyful, there's also a burden that comes with that covenant relationship. I believe Jesus said, if you wish to be my disciple, take up your passport to go to Europe and travel the rest of your life in pleasure and follow me. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that. He said, take up your cross. What is a cross? A cross is an instrument of death. An instrument of death basically says, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I'm your child, but I understand in this, in this life, I have to keep telling the body no. I have to keep telling the world no, and I have to follow your laws, your precepts, your teachings. And that's hard. That's hard in a physical body. But yet I long to be with you, but in the meantime, I want to honor you and glorify you and be thankful for your grace. In Bible class, Stacy, this morning, uh, we turned to 2 Corinthians 5.1. I thought that was such a good passage. I'm going to share it with you tonight. So let's all read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now here Paul is talking about being in a body of flesh, right? Here I am saved. Housed in this earthly tent is the Holy Spirit who gives me joy. He, he affirms who I am and who I belong to. He affirms my heavenly home, so I'm all excited about that. But I'm still in an earthly tent, and this earthly tent struggles sometimes. It, it hurts, it weeps, it cries, it gets depressed, it's sad, it's tired. All the things that fleshly things do. And so Paul writes about this to the church at Corinth. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. Now, what is he talking about? Death, all right? That's how you destroy the earthly tent. He says, it's okay. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's good news. Whenever this journey ends for us and we cease to breathe, it's not the end. There's something so much more glorious awaiting, all right? We should be joyful, right? For in this tent, we groan. You ever groaned? I groan when I get up off the floor. I'm getting older now. I groan a lot more when I get up. We long to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 6. 
we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That basically means that while you walk on this earth, you haven't begun your journey in heaven yet. You haven't been ushered into the presence of the Lord. And for that, we're a little sad. But he's given us the spirit to remind us, I'm still here. I'm still here. It's okay. We'll get through this. So we want to be with the Lord, but here we are in this tent, this temporary house. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I would uh, say to you tonight that in Christ, we serve the Lord. We work hard not to be saved, but because we're saved. So in other words, once we're saved and in a covenant relationship, that bar, if you will, is raised. God says, now I have a different expectation for you as my child. Here's what you need to do. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Be kind to those who mistreat you. Let your light shine. Tell us about the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me. Things like that are what happens when we're in covenant relationship. We don't do these things to be saved. We do these things because we're saved. We work hard because we have received grace. We work hard because we are his child. Look what he jumps into in verse 11. I won't go into it tonight, but what does it say? The ministry of reconciliation. We persuade others. We go out and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. By grace I'm saved. He loved me even when I was unlovable. He blessed me when I was sinful. He covered me with the blood of his son. Now I'm a different person. I've been crucified in Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.1 is a very interesting concept of the joys and the struggle. Paul adds these words about the same idea of joy and struggle in Christ. Listen to what um, Paul says to young Timothy, his protege. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Notice I put in parentheses, what does that mean? He's a living sacrifice. He is giving himself up on the altar of the Lord. He's working so hard and actually in prison. Why? To be saved? No, because he's already saved. He said, I'm being poured out. My life is literally ebbing away from me. The time of my departure, that is his death, has come. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not be long for this world. And so he's writing his dear son in Christ, Timothy, a goodbye letter. He's telling him, I love you. I'm excited. This old tent is going to get folded up real soon. I'm going to go home and be with my father. That's what he's saying. Then he says in verse 7, Let me tell you, Timothy, about my life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. You see the struggles Paul's gone through? You see that hard work? Why did you do all that? To be saved? No, because he was saved. He loved the Lord and he sacrificed himself in his service. I've stayed with God all the way. I didn't give up. Now, verse 8, the exciting part. 
Go to the next slide. This is the good news, all right? This is the benefits of being in relationship with God in grace. Now, he says, henceforth, because of all these things I just told you in the preceding verses, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the joy of being in a grace-filled relationship with God. We sacrifice, we work hard because we are saved, and we long to be with the Lord and look forward to his eternal reward. That's exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. One of the questions that we used to ask uh, back when I was on the Larry West We Care campaigns, and it's a good question, and that is if the Lord uh, came today, if he were to come back, Uh, this very day, would you know for sure without a doubt you'd go to heaven? It's a great question because it, it, it asks a person to assess themselves. I'm not making any judgments, but it asks them, where are you in your relationship with God? And if he happened to come back right now, if the world ended, where would you be? Why do we like to ask that question? Well, it gets us to thinking about salvation. It gets us to think about eternity. It gets people to think about how confident they are in their own salvation. A person is basically going to say one of three things. They're going to say, yes, I know I'm saved and I'm excited. They're going to say, no, I don't know. And they may say, I don't know and I don't care. All right? One of those three. There's a good chance that you might be able to engage them in a very uplifting, grace-filled conversation about their soul, right? And talk to them about God and heaven and the gospel and how to be saved. But hopefully, hopefully they will see our confidence of our own salvation. And so I'm challenging each of you tonight as we bring this lesson toward a close. I want you to grow in your confidence. I want you to move beyond being uncertain about being saved and say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven and I'm excited. I'm excited enough to tell others. John talks about confidence in his epistle in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Look at 1st John chapter 2, 5. John writes to the church, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Right? If you abide in God's word, if, you, if you're obedient to keeping his word, you know you're saved. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we'll talk later in our lesson series about an abuse of grace. Um, and, and basically uh, the idea of now that I'm saved, what do I have to do? Nothing. Boy, life's great. I'll just cruise through life and doesn't matter what I do, I'm saved, right? That's an abuse of grace and it can go, it can go sideways quickly. So we know that we're Uh, in Christ. We know that we abide in him. How do we know that? When we're obedient to him and we walk in the steps of Jesus. 1 John 5 verse 13. I love this passage where we talk about our confidence of our own salvation. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Verse 14 
This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So I want to close tonight with just a quick prayer, and then we'll offer the invitation. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to you tonight. We acknowledge our sin. We come before you confessing our shortcomings and our faults. But, Father, we pray that you help us to be more joyful, to be more excited about the grace that you bestowed upon us. Lord, help us to get up in the morning and say, thank you, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing me to be your child. And, Father, because of that joy, help us to follow in the steps of Jesus. Help us, Father, to be confident as your children and know that if we ask anything according to your will, it will be done. Father, we know that being in this body of flesh, we're not exempt for struggles, from difficult times, for sadness and depression, from assaults from the devil. But as Paul mentioned, Father, we know that one day, one day, this tent will be folded up and we'll have uh, unspeakable joy in your presence for an eternity. Father, help us to get excited, excited enough to share that good news with someone else, a precious soul who's messed up who need your grace and your love. Father, we can tell them about our sinful condition and how God unconditionally loves all of us and will bestow grace upon those who confess the name of the Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you tonight to take inventory of your own life. Where are you in your confidence quotient of grace? Do you feel confident? Are you still worried about being in the Lord. If you need to do something tonight, we invite you to come. There may be someone who's struggling with private sin, maybe somebody who needs prayer, physically suffering, whatever your need may be, we invite you to come. Let us know your needs so we can take it before God's throne. I hope you're enjoying this lesson series on grace. It's something we need to hear more about. We need to be comfortable with the idea of grace and how it saves us, and we can be joyful in our grace. Uh, Let's stand and sing together. Howard will lead us in a song, and come if you need to. There's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming by and by. When the saints and the sinners shall be parted right and left, are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready? For the judgment day, there's a bright day coming, a bright day coming, there's a bright day coming by and by. But its brightness shall only come to them that love the Lord. Are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? There's a sad day coming, a sad day coming. There's a sad day coming by and by. When the sinner shall hear his doom depart, I know ye not. Are you ready for the day to come? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready? Are you ready?
there's anyone here tonight who has not partaken of the Lord's Supper, it's offered in room one, and you can uh, exit there at this time. Our closing song will be number 304, Jesus is All the World to Me. We'll sing the first and last verses, number 304. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day, without him I would fall. When I am sad to him I go, no other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I trust him now. I'll trust him when life's fleeting day shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. Okay, okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this, another opportunity we have to assemble here in your name. To hear another lesson of your word and to sing songs of praise thy great and holy name. Come to you in prayer. Help us to use the power of prayer daily in our own private lives. Please help us to show others the power of prayer. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to strengthen one another as we strive to help each other get to heaven. We're thankful for the lesson we've heard tonight on grace. Help us to realize that this grace only comes from you. Thankful for your son and his willingness to come to this earth and live a perfect life, an example to us, to ultimately give himself up on the cross, to die for our sins that we might live with you through eternity. Father, we ask you, please be with us as we go out into our everyday lives throughout this week and help us to shine your light in this dark and cruel world in which we live. Help us to be willing and able to share your good news with others, not only by what we say, but also what we do. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the progress of some of our sick and those who have been absent recently and being able to recover and be back with us. I ask your blessings upon each and every one who still has various struggles, uh, procedures, tests, surgeries upcoming. Pray that you'll please bless their caregivers. Please help them to do the things that are most needed that they can be restored to their health place in life. Father, we ask you continue to be with those who are bowed down in sorrow to lost loved ones. Please comfort and strengthen them as only you can do. Father, we ask you 
Go with us now as we separate. Please keep us safe until we meet again. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.